Welcome back to Herpetological Highlights. This is episode 79. I instantly blanked with what number it is. Uh, I'm Ben Marshall and co-hosting as always is Tom Major. And he is going to do us the great honour of describing what this episode is all about. Well, it's all about alligators. Predominantly alligators with some... um little frog or toad as well and um just other assorted bits and bobs i think it's a bit of a uh, bit of a cobbled together episode i think it's fair to say bit of, a bit of a mess yeah but um you know i think people like that i think people like to be sort of kept kept on their guessing. toes yeah like what are they going to talk about yeah, next it's like a mystery so yeah don't get too comfortable with the alligator thing it's got a kind of loose alligator theme running through it but uh yeah, then on to other bits and bobs. But yeah, we got a paper about alligators, which is cool if slightly flawed. And then we've got a new species that we're going to talk about. And then we've got some sort of bits and bobs as well. Yeah. I mean, I guess we should start with the alligator alligator paper, right? Uh, Yeah. Alligator. Alligator versus Agreta. Yes. Oh, I see what you did there. I thought you just said alligator, alligator paper, but you said alligator, egretta. Oh, no, I did say alligator, alligator paper. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were referring to some birds. I don't know what people call birds. I was like, wow, Ben knows his birds. You like birds. I thought you'd know about birds. Well, I know about... <laughs> well, I'd actually, I've, I've seen... which I, I've only seen one of the three species that they're discussing in this paper, and that's egretta tricolor, oh. the tricolored heron. Oh, I surely you've seen a snowy egret in your life. Not snowy, I don't think so. I don't know, mate. I've seen some white egrets about. Any chance? Yeah, Any- well, in the UK you would have seen little egrets, which is the classic egretta egretta. Uh, and you might have seen, uh, what are they called? Cattle egret. Are they great, great white egrets? Great yeah. egrets? And there's also cattle egrets that you almost certainly would have seen in Thailand. Yeah, I've seen cattle egrets. Um, what's the range of this snowy egret? Oh, and I suppose it's also the intermediate egret too. <laughs> wow. Yeah, well, that it's one's a grey one. You've got little, intermediate, and great. Oh, wait. Okay, this animal is distributed only in the Americas. So, I mean, I might have seen one uh, as a kid when I was in the Everglades, but I don't recall. I was more interested in the alligators. Well, it's only natural. Yeah, so, well, this paper... Actually, do you know what? I, th- I found out something cool about alligators. I mean, I don't think we need to go into too much detail about what an alligator is. Um, you know, it's a massive crocodilian. It's a archosaur, so it's actually not a lizard, despite looking like a lizard. But the history of the word alligator would have you believe that it was a hmm. lizard. Because the history of the word is, in the late 16th century, the Spanish word for lizard is el lagarto. I think it still is. Uh, probably based on the Latin lacerta. And so what that means is that the word alligator actually means, well, alligator obviously is the bit that's referring to the lizard. And then, so you've got alligator as their um, generic name. And then their specific name is Mississippiensis, because they're from Mississippi. And so the name alligator Mississippiensis actually means the lizard from Mississippi. Which is partially right on both accounts <laughs> yeah yeah they look lizardy but they're not lizardy they can be seen in mississippi but they're not exclusively in mississippi mississippi is quite a word isn't it it's a bit much 
Mm. So, uh, crocodilians and birds. That's what this paper's all about. Oh, we haven't actually introduced it. It's Bertner and Frederick. Enemies to the end. Yeah. Bertner and Frederick, 2017. Attraction of nesting wading birds to alligators. Alligator Mississippiensis. Testing the nest protector hypothesis published in Wetlands. Uh, Like I said, 2017. So, crocodilians and birds have a long and sordid past. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, I feel like the uh, the balance might be slightly weighted towards alligators in, in mm. this case. I can't imagine there are many birds capable of taking alligators. Oh, well, I suppose little little young'uns are probably quite vulnerable to all sorts of I feel like a birds and herony, but I don't think a spoonbill. A spoonbill could just spoon up a baby crocodile or alligator. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think they could. Are you no. sure? I'm, what about a pelican? A pelican, more likely. I've seen a pelican eat all sorts of stuff. On, yeah, on I mean, YouTube. they can eat pigeons. Yeah, and I mean, what is a, a yeah. pigeon? 30 centimetre long I mean, pigeon. What is an alligator if not a pigeon of the swamp? Yeah, I mean, yeah. But what I want to talk about is the fact that like crocodiles and birds, crocodilians, they have a lot of interactions. Egyptian plovers, they're little black and white birds. They actually go, Nile crocodiles will in africa will sit with their mouths open and these little plovers will come over and eat the parasites allegedly and also the little bits of rotten meat from between their teeth so that's like a nice friendly interaction and on mm. the other flip side of that you've got agonistic interactions where um crocodilians are eating birds and there's a couple of different species of cr- crocodilian that are known to actually use sticks as bait i think we might have talked about this briefly before we definitely talked about that on the podcast before i think uh if i remember paper it looked it looked like there was this deliberate use of sticks to encourage the uh, birds to come down near the crocs to get got and it it, the reason they were confident that it was a deliberate uh use of the sticks was it happened more at the nesting period of the year right so when the birds were more likely to be looking for sticks the crocs knew and that's yeah. crocodiles, that's marshmugger crocodiles in India have been seen doing that. And also alligators in Louisiana also have been observed using sticks as bait to try and catch themselves a nice little bird meal. So, mm. uh, yeah, they're not always friends. But in this uh, study, taking place in Florida, just north of the Everglades, in the catchily named Water Conservation Area 3, or WCA3 for short. <laughs> I love that. Oh, oh, I love Water Catchment Area 3. <laughs> yeah, I'd say... I like water catchment areas in general, but three, it's just something special, isn't it? And, it uh, is, yeah. Two, two, two had me going for a while, but three's, uh, three's yeah, pulling I was a two lately. guy. I was a two yeah. guy at first, but, you know, just doesn't have the uh, alligator bird activity that three has. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so water conservation area three, it's this area of seasonally flooded sawgrass and wet prairie. So it's like you know, typical alligator habitat. And it's dotted with these small islands of trees, usually willow trees, which are on these little elevated portions, little tree islands. And a few species of They have a special bird. name. They have a special name. Hammocks? I think they're referred hammocks. to in the Everglade. Yes, because they have... Is it mahogany hammocks in the Everglades, I believe? Oh, gosh, I always forget. Either way, these little tree islands, and they're really, really impressive. Yeah, and they are obviously, being as they're the only dry areas in the region, they are very important for lots of different animals. And alligators use them for just like sitting around and I guess resting on and probably like, I guess they hibernate down inside them. Um, 
and then also birds obviously using them to nest because they're dry. And the idea behind this paper uh, is basically thought that these birds, so we had snowy egrets, small day herons, and tricolored herons. So, you know, the mm-hmm. long leggy, yep. long leggy, skinny birds eating fish and frogs and all that kind of stuff, wading birds. The idea is that they select the islands that they're going to nest on based at least in part on whether or not there are alligators present, which it's believed they perceive as a kind of protection for their nest. Yes, because they're going to basically deal with other other predators that are more uh, oophagous or egg-loving. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, so the, the idea of this study, they had decoy birds and alligators, which sound like they were quite fun to make. Um, you've got some epoxy <laughs> alligators chucking them over the side. And basically they were giving... There was lots of islands. I think they had about 40 islands and more, in fact, more, in fact. And um, they were basically doing different treatments on different islands with these decoys. So 10 islands had alligator decoys. 18 had bird decoys. 10 had uh, alligator plus bird decoys. And then there was some with no decoys. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And what... One thing that's worth mentioning is like they couldn't really have an island with no alligators as their test because when they went to these islands at night with a torch, every single one of them was teeming with alligators, right? So they basically had these um, alligator decoys were basically just creating like a super normal version of the amount of alligators that were there. It was like more alligators. It was basically just like the expectation was that the birds would see those islands. Yeah, they'd see these islands and be like, whoa, there's tons of alligators there. Maybe that's a good place to nest. See, the um, only the only trick is the only thing that they'd be missing with this is if uh, birds avoid areas with zero alligators. They don't care how many alligators there are because one's enough to keep things away. So that's that's the only potential that thing that they're missing with, without that that zero gator control. Yeah, but I guess they didn't have the option of like exterminating alligators at particular places. Well, or even removing them. They'd just come straight back. Then exterminate, <laughs> you know? all right? No half measures. Yeah. What do you think it's going to do? Okay, spatial ecology. Those things have got blooming metallic sensing. They're like pigeons. They'll be straight back. <laughs> have they got that? I don't know. But I feel like... Isn't there a, I reckon isn't there they've a, probably got something similar, surely. There's, sure, there's a paper where they translocated crocodiles. Oh, wait, no, that was... Am I thinking about the Komodo? But the Komodos didn't care about translocation, did they? They were just like, I well, guess they... this is my life now. No, the Komodos cared... Some cared, but some didn't care. If they it? were on the same island, but they didn't... They hated going in the sea Oh, water. that was it. Yeah, that was it. They wouldn't I swim think. back home. <laughs> yeah. But they would yeah. go home if they were on the same island. That's right, yeah. I'm not sure about... Yeah. But I seem to recall there was a... There has been evidence of, like, particularly nuisance crocodiles in Australia travelling, like... You know, hundreds yeah, of miles to get I, back to be where I they mean, were. I'm thinking of the the like saltwater croc tracking efforts in Australia, and they do travel huge distances when they want to. So i I would be very surprised if any sort of translocation effort worked for any amount of time for crocodiles. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it was beyond the scope of this study to start like fencing out croc- fencing out alligators or anything like that. So yeah, they just had super normal. Um. Yeah, and uh, what they yeah. did for each island, they cruised up on the island in an airboat and they counted the amount of birds which took flight. And that was their way of counting how many birds were at each island. And they were trying to look to see if there was more birds at the islands with alligators. Yeah. Not the best way of counting birds. 
No, because I feel like some of the birds are just going to be like, whatever, it's an airboat, see those all the time. If there's like a high well, traffic area or something. Yeah, I mean, it's, okay, you're dis- disturbing beasties. That's that's never good if it can be avoided. But I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head is you, you can't assume the birds that you count are the birds that are there. And it gets... Like, your hope is that at least the birds you see is very closely related to the number of birds actually there. But... Mm. eh. What you're suggesting (laughs) is that, like, it could be very easy for birds to be missed. Well, basically, and, and... Basically, sort of later on down the lines, you should probably be accounting for that. Because yeah. I think if you're only counting birds you see, you're always going to be undercounting the number of birds that are there. But to get an estimate of how many birds you're missing, you need to sort of repeat these surveys and uh, sort of estimate the variation in the counts you're getting to get an idea of what you've missed on any particular count. Yeah, they definitely didn't do that. Um yeah, they just counted the flush birds. So yeah, bit of a uh, detection uh, faux pas there, you could say. Yeah, we, well, I, I guess faux pas. It's, it's, it's just sometimes doing this, it always gets more complicated when you're trying to deal with imperfect detection because you're going to have to repeat the surveys to get that estimate. So it is more effort and sometimes that's simply not feasible. Um, I mean, we did we did a whole episode on imperfect detection and the issues that can arise from it or not. Um, but hey, sometimes it's not. It's it's just worth bearing in mind as we go forward that there's an additional bit of uncertainty, which isn't being carried forward because you haven't sort of estimated it. And so, um, yeah, they also did some helicopter stuff, which is pretty cool. I've never uh, read a paper about reptiles before where a helicopter was involved. So, um, yes, big ups you for that. Have, yeah, what, you what have, helicopter thing have I read? You would have read about uh, the tracking tracking the Burmese pythons in Florida. They had a helicopter. They, got- they had planes in that, didn't they? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure if it was That's helicopter. True. It was definitely planes. Not a helicopter, though, is it, Ben? No, but <laughs> I am. I am positive we have brought up helicopters on this podcast before. We've brought up some- helicopters because I'll tell you for why. It's because uh, Ross McGibbon was rescued by a. Uh, unknown oh, flying yes. vehicle do you remember that like two years ago we had that conversation yeah yeah and we said maybe it's a helicopter maybe it's a plane we didn't know it later on turned out to be a plane i believe <laughs> this is completely besides Checkmate, the point ben yeah <laughs> oh, i've just come across the map of uh what was it water conservation area 3a <laughs> I, I i'm actually going to give a bit more context to where it is uh it's right next to Big Cypress National Preserve. And it's north, of, north the of the Everglades. And it's yeah. actually north of the Everglades National Park, but south of the Everglades, what is it, the conservation area? Agricultural area. Oh, agricultural. Everglades Agricultural Area. Man, some catchy names. So, um, yeah, let's get into it. They uh, Basically, uh, it looks as though the favourite thing for these birds was... Uh, the alligator. Oh, and they did bird do treatment. repeated surveys. Oh, I thought they didn't do. Re- Sorry, <laughs> I was talking about the repeated surveys not being being viable. But they did. They did. They did 
105 different site visits split across the different islands. So I guess so they could that's have... at least two visits to each island on average. 11 sites were surveyed just once, but all the others were twice and above. Okay, cool. Huh. So you could... So you could have de- dealt with imperfect detection, perhaps. Perhaps. Interesting. Maybe they had the uh, they had the materials, but not the... Uh... I don't know, they just didn't do it. So, yeah. Um, no significant difference between number of birds attracted to the bird decoy treatment and the no decoy treatment. Um, so birds don't care about the presence of other birds? No. Birds are indifferent to birds. And, well... Yeah. Birds were less attracted to the alligator decoy treatment than the bird decoy treatment. So, actually, there was this kind of like hierarchy where the best thing was alligators and birds... Then it was bird decoys and no decoys. And then the least attractive one was only alligators. Hmm. And these are pretty big differences, right? So that gator plus bird treatment, you're talking like 150, uh, 150 birds. But just the gators, you're down to 40 birds. So pretty sizable differences. That's a lot of... That's a lot of birds not being there. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. They say that the alligator decoys might have been non-attractive to the herons when it was only the alligator decoys because they might have just not seen them. Apparently the humans actually had difficulty seeing them after they'd even put them in. <laughs> just like, where have they gone? Oh, they were, they were too good, basically. Yeah. But the thing is, I guess alligators are pretty well camouflaged. They're just dark green on dark green water. So it's like, okay. Yeah. Can't really see that. So, uh, yeah, it's possible they reckon that... Um, because the alligator-only treatment didn't have any birds for them to see, they probably they might never have even bothered going there. It might be that they see other birds, and that's like an initial stimulus, and then the presence of alligators is like a double down. Yeah, let's stay. Obviously, that's just conjecture, but um, yeah, something yeah, stopped them going what, to the alligator ones. I guess what would be weird is because you've got this difference between none and then the bird treatment isn't actually that much. I don't no. know. Yeah. Hmm. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. I mean... So basically, most islands had birds and alligators together. Sort of half as many of these islands uh, only had alligators. But birds were never found alone as well. Never alone. Yeah. So yeah, basically, they, they their findings do support this idea that wading birds are actively choosing the nesting locations that are protected by alligators. But well, I suppose the birds based... never found alone doesn't really make much sense because none of the, uh, there were no opportunities oh, yeah. for them to be alone. So that's yeah. a sort of non-statement, isn't it? Because they all had, all the islands had alligators. Well, no, but neither birds nor normal... alligators at six islands. I thought you said there weren't any islands without any gators. They said that in the paper. They said that they visited them at night and they never saw one without any without any gators. Of 73 tree islands surveyed in 2015, we detected alligators and birds together on 43 islands, alligators alone at 20 oh. islands, birds alone at zero islands, and neither birds nor alligators at six islands. That's the second question bit, though, isn't it? That's like the, um, the second... Oh, if I'd... Yeah, that's the... Um... That's the alligator and bird association bit. 
which is d- different, I think. I mean, it's talking about treatments in the previous paragraph. Bird response to decoys. That I mean, there's one experiment done. Hmm. And that's it. Well, then they are contradicting themselves because... Uh, Maybe it was it was uh, when they deployed the decoys to when they measured them. Maybe they didn't mm. find any islands when they deco- de- deployed the decoys because that would have been a different time. So perhaps there was there was um, temporal variation in in Gator Island occupancy. Ah, for experimental manipulation, we selected forty small islands, all of oh, which you, had yeah. an alligator hole. Yeah, nighttime spotlight surveys during this time indicate that all tree islands had live alligators associated with them. Whereabouts is that? In the decoy experiment design section, towards the end of the first paragraph. Well, just after halfway. During during this time. So it is, it's the difference between deplo- decoy deployment and when they did the surveys. Uh, okay, yeah. so they saw them at night when they were decoy deploying, but when they were doing the surveys... For the they birds with the airboat, they didn't mm-hmm. always see them. Okay, so they are there. Which are there. which also beautifully illustrates this issue of imperfect detection. Where <laughs> if, if you weren't to know that, you'd think, all right, no gators on this island. But really, there are gators on this island. You just haven't seen them right then. So that's, that's, that's your double-edged thing. Because then if you were to see birds on that island, it, would it be treated as those birds are alone? Because... In some ways, that would be wrong, right? Because they're not alone. You just didn't see the gators. Yeah. And the same goes for birds you didn't see. Yeah, so uh, basically, yeah, there's. Just, I think um, <clears throat> there is evidence here that the birds are swayed uh, by the presence of alligators. And uh, it does seem that more alligators increases the likelihood of their uh, nesting in a particular island. So I think there's evidence here to suggest that relationship. Yes. I'd be a little bit wary of saying it was the gators driving it. Yeah, there's this nice association, but what if it's not the gators driving it? Because there could be something else at play that wasn't measured, right? Maybe uh, these islands have a certain characteristic which is good for gators to be seen and sort of hang out around and for the nesting birds mm. like it's it's yeah. pretty it's it's you know they've done this experimental treatment and it does seem to to show it but to really hammer this home you know deal with that imperfect detection deal with some other potential confounding uh variables that could be impacting yeah, both it... bird occupancy and gator occupancy yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be that there's like it could be anything really. There could be like a third species at play. I mean, hypothetically speaking, that's like yeah, species or or environmental thing, more a likely type of that, vegetation. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that the I mean the important point of this paper is like, hey, that is something interesting going on there. Mm. It is certainly worth something more detailed to try and tease those apart. And to be fair, you know, the data collected is probably most of the way towards doing that. Um, if, if you take into account this imperfect detection aspect, 
probably. Hmm. I mean, okay, what would be so, nice? Um... What would be nice is if there was data available alongside, and um, well, then someone could go and uh, go and actually investigate it because. There's a lot of openly available land use stuff or satellite imagery that could be used to infer some aspects of the design if you had locations of these islands actually detailed and the counts and stuff. Yeah. It could be done. I feel like there could be human elements to this as well, like boat traffic or something like that. I don't know how busy this area is, but... Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, there we go. Some evidence here that, yeah, alligators and birds are maybe colluding um but certainly it's another chapter in the uh, long and eventful evolutionary relationship between crocodilians and burbs yeah yeah one thing worth noting is it's the the counts seem to be connected to the gators not the absence presence so it's like more birds more birds rather than there were birds, birds. or no birds yeah yeah just to add that that's good to know yeah more birds mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. more birds more gators more birds but not no gators no birds or more birds gators, more birds. gators or more birds more gators maybe they're maybe they're down there maybe they're down there hoping for some eggs to fall out like those um scrub pythons yep nestling i don't <laughs> know i think a nestling bird would be uh, probably not worth the effort for an alligator, alligator. Yeah. yeah. I'm not getting out of my hole for that. Um Yeah, okay, cool. Well, let's move on. So we are gonna move on to our species of the bye week. Surprise mid episode species of the bye week. Uh I'll let you introduce it, Ben. And it's a new type of alligator. Uh, no, no, of course it's not. That would that would be incredible, though, wouldn't it? Uh, at this point, it'd be yeah, remarkable if a new alligator was discovered. I mean, I can, I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I feel like it would have happened by now. I feel like people have looked at the alligator's genetics. I'm, I'm sure there's an alligator genome. I'm pretty positive. Uh, there's probably enough for that it. bit. I don't think there's a full genome of the alligator, though. There's. Because I would have thought I would have looked at that during my master's. Unless, of course, it's been done since, which is, of course, possible. I remember there being a saltwater croc one, and possibly a Nile crocodile too. Yeah. Yeah, I can't find a hole. Not yet. Oh, well. Anyway. Species of bi-week. We've got a paper published in Zookeys in 2020. A new species of the Asian leaf litter toad genus, uh, Leptobrachella, from southwest China. Uh, this paper is by Li, Lui, Wei, and Wang. It was... Yeah, published 2020. So, a new toad. A tiny toad. Tiny, tiny toad. Just quickly before like, we uh, carry on, I just want to. I just was carrying on reading about uh, alligator genomes. There is a Chinese oh, yeah. alligator genome, but not an American alligator genome. Huh? How many alligators are there in the world? Well, there's 26 crocodilians, so I think probably about four. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think there might actually be two. 
Really? I, I think I think people might be halfway to having all the alligator genomes. <laughs> oh, okay. Alligatoridae, the family, contains <gasps> two true alligators. Yep. As we know, alligator mississippiensis and alligator sinensis, uh, which is yep. the Chinese alligator. And then you've also got some caiman in the family, four caiman. Ah, but they're not genus alligator, are they? They are not. They are not. No, That's... there's other extinct ones. Alligator pre-nasalis. Yeah, nobody... nobody cares about them. They're dead. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see bones. Um no, I I do like dinosaurs as much as the next person. Um, yeah, so this toad, right? A tiny toad. The, it's really small. Yeah, three I noticed that. Centimeters, three, three and a half centimeters for some of them. All right, I feel like we're getting ahead of ourselves though. Where are we? We are we're in, in South China. South China in a place called Chish'o. Um, Chish'o City, uh, Gizhou Province, China, and uh, yeah. This team carried out a series of biodiversity surveys and they collected some specimens of the genus Leptobrachella and they did some molecular phylogenetic analysis and the classic morphological comparisons and they even did some bioacoustics comparisons which we'll talk about and they consistently indicate these species are a brand new species so they've called it Leptobrachella chishorensis because it's from Chishor. Do you know what what Leptobrachella means? Brachella. Wait, Brachella. Brachy. Brachyderm. Um, mm, Lepto. Lepto. It just, it feels like one that means something quite good. I feel like Lepto. Is oh, a they're, thing. So fam- they're so familiar. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's what <laughs> I had, What's Brachycardia? I don't know why I didn't like look this up before. Heart rhythm, isn't it? So is it something, something unusual? Lepto. Is it something to do with the. F- Oh. <laughs> okay, well, if you know what leptobrachella means, please uh, write it to us. <laughs> please save us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, leptobrachella. What? It's a genus of frogs. Toads? Which is it, Ben? They said tiny toad. Tiny toad. So, currently, there's 76 species in this genus, now 77. And 44 have been described in the past 10 years, so... Oh, they're not right true now. toads, so they're not bufos. They're just frog toads. Yeah, mego, uh, mego fry a day. Oh, yeah. Mego fry a day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 21 of the species, 21 of the now 70... I guess 22 of now 77 species are known from China. So nearly a third of all the species are found in China. And uh, yeah, we're in southern China, Gizhou province. And one thing I noticed in this, Ben, was that um, when they collected their type specimens, they found seven males and one female, which suggests to me that the males might be easier to find. Maybe they were cooling in the river. They didn't say specifically, but... uh, Or maybe there's seven times as many and they have a really weird sex ratio. Also possible. Yeah, like maybe... You know what uh, this is another nice example of? Sat detection thing. If you don't separate those two things out it's hard to know what's actually there yeah for sure yeah 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 like that's it whereas the likelihood is that the detection probability for males is much higher than that for females i feel like that's 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 traditionally the case with uh amphibians with cooling males and whatnot 
Yeah, especially if they're uh, guarding a territory. Yeah, yeah, because they're not liable to give it up. No, no. So, yeah, one of the identifying features on this species is its chagrined dorsal skin. Chagrined. Do you know what that means? I Not only do I not know what that mer- word means, I don't think I've ever even heard that word in my I'd life. I'd never heard it before. That's why I got into it. I was like, what's that? <laughs> so chagrined, it means having a rough surface similar to that of chagrin. Okay. No closer <laughs> to knowing the truth. Keep your secrets. But then I dug a little bit deeper. A chagrin yeah. is a type of rawhide. Okay. Consisting of rough, untanned skin, historically from a horse or onager's back, but nowadays more likely to be from a shark or ray. In modern times, chagrin is produced from the skins of commercially farmed Asian stingrays, Ben. So... Oh, my days. Next time someone says it has a rough dorsal surface, just say, sorry, could you be more specific? And expect them to say, it's like the rawhide of a commercially available farmed stingray. <laughs> that was a beautiful little journey into the world of language. Um, and I think that <laughs> is a term I am never going to use. <laughs> yeah, chagrined. Um, much more successful than our delve into what the name Leptobrachella actually means. Mm. Um, I, I, I love it when papers use words that I'm not 100% familiar with. I, I makes love these it. little off, offshoots. Especially yeah, you know, you just say rough. Don't, you're not using so many like weird jargony words that aren't, you know, just for the sake of it. But every now and again, a little bit of, uh, you know, playing with language, I, I do, I do appreciate. I like it when it's nuanced, but when it's just jargon, I feel like they could have just as easily said the skin is rough. I'm going to know then, and when I see a rough-skinned toad, that it's, yeah, but that, I don't know. But that's the thing. You that was a fun. That was a fun little adventure. See, that was an example of it was fun. fun. It was fun. That's what yeah, that was. was. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, the um, the habitat looks nice. Oh, actually, before we do that, so the rough skin is a an identifying feature, but also it's got a nice smooth ventral skin. It's got a nice soft belly. That's a good way to tell. So if you stroke its back, ah, chagrined, then you flip it over, soft, <laughs> then you know you've Velvet. got this particular species, mm-hmm. Leptobrachella, chishotensis. Well, probably, probably try and idea it without grabbing it would probably be you know preferable right i mean that's the party line so gators in the news <laughs> <laughs> actually before we go into gators in the news uh they talked a lot about the calls of this little toad um they didn't have any calls available to download uh, what is have... uh, no this is no i'm 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 taking a. I'm taking a stand. I think that is just make them put them in. Put them in the paper. Mate, damn it! Put them ben, in supplementary material. I want videos. So... I want audio. <laughs> I want more. Pe- <laughs> it, don't be so, so dramatic, Ben. Don't be so dramatic. No, like me. No, I will be dramatic. When you look at the picture of a waveform, the waveform of a sound that's just oh, I can as hear good it. as the sound itself. Oh, I can hear it. I in can my read mind. sounds. I, now, I can read sounds. I just need to recreate that sound using my my voice and then everybody listening you, can can also enjoy i'll tell it. you right now for free exactly what that frog sounds like based solely on the waveform i've got in front of me you ready okay yeah <laughs> let me just find it obviously i need the music in front of me um uh, what do you want to hear do you want to hear the advertisement call uh yeah let's start with the advertisement call please oh yeah. god i yeah. wish i hadn't agreed to do this now i don't i can't do it i can't i don't know i can't read this waveform it's just noise 
I, I appreciate the oh, strong bluff I also, going forward. But um, l- looking at this as well, like there's a lot of sounds, individual sounds made in a second. I actually don't think I'm capable. It's very complicated. Mm. But I, no, this is. I, I, sorry, my my going off one. But my point being, um, it's not just this paper. It's so many papers. Yeah, it's read. terrible. It's an it's a, it's, a, it's, it's an epidemic. Like, why you're describing a species? This is specifically meant to help people identify that species. Why are you forcing people to try and get in touch to find the audio or or some other detail? Yeah, it should be on there. It should be on there. If I ever publish a species description of an animal that makes a noise, I'll make sure that it's got the noise in there for you. Thank you. That's all right. Hey, let's talk about... Look, all right, they didn't put a sound in, but the rest of this paper is pretty great. The pictures oh, yeah. of the I, habitat, habitat pictures? are... Oh, Perfect. I, can, I wish I was there, mate. Looks glorious, Nice bamboo forest, it? clear water stream. There's a little banana plant growing in the middle of the, the way there. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, it just looks magical. It's like a a lush forested valley in the background and then just like bamboo forest with a stream running through it, a few epiphytic plants, some nice rocks covered in moss in the river, bamboo plants cropping up. And of course, Leptobrachella chishwatensis cooling in the stream, although we don't know what it sounds like, but we can only imagine it sounds froggish. Beautiful. Mm. I, I do love the first sentence of the discussion too, saying that Leptobrachella have low vigility and are ex- exclusive. Basically, they're lazy. Yeah, they're, they're lazy. chillers. <laughs> limited movement, cryptic species, highly structured populations, probably because of this limited movement and the sort of montane environments they're living in, and that like hyper diversity that uh, we often discuss when we're talking about. Uh, Malagasy species or um, the the sky, sky islands, islands and things yeah. you know it's it comes up and again and again it was this beautiful setup of low movement capacity very difficult hard barriers to cross and uh, it's, it's just this perfect perfect setup for high diversity and little 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 variations all on the same theme but all these little cryptic species all slightly specialized to their own little zone partly through nice. isolation but also partly through uh slightly different uh environmental factors they're having to deal with too it's really neat it is neat and uh yeah glad to see it thanks very much leptobrachella chishotensis great name too from the city of yes Chishot. yes we Which did I describe what it looked say. like right it's actually spelt actually no we didn't uh, it's spelled Chishu, Chish, C-H-I-S-U-I-N-S-I-S. That's the name. Uh, <coughs> no, we didn't actually describe what it looks like, which is a bit of a uh, a bit of a missed step. What does it look like? I mean, we said it was tiny. It is tiny. Yeah. Um, and it's got a nice big eye. It's uh, sort of a dark greeny color, um, maybe a little bit orangey, sort of yeah, darker patches. Yeah, some of them patches. sort of brownie orangey or two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, black stripes on the front and back legs, and uh, a really soft belly, um, which, which is, is pale, pale more. white, mm, yeah. little white flecks too. It's nice, mm. really beautiful little creature. So yeah, yeah. welcome to yeah. welcome to science, Leptobrachella chishotensis, and uh, that that's it for um, the main body of the episode. Uh, 
But I thought we could, because we've just got one paper on alligators, perhaps we could do a couple of news stories, some gators in the news. Ah, okay. What do you got? Well, there was actually a paper that came out last week, and it turns out that alligators can regrow their tails up to 18 inches of the end of the tail. What do you think of that? I'm trying to comprehend how much 18 inches is. Here, look at the camera. Twice the width of my head. Okay. I've got a nine-inch head span. I suppose I suppose that's not bad for a medium-sized gator. It be, wouldn't really be enough for a big gator if it lost most of its tail. Yeah, well, I, did, I mean, I'd be, uh, I don't know how big the gator was that they uh, did it on because I just criminally only read the uh, life science thing. I mean, it was a great article. Um, some really nice figures coming out of that paper. The paper is actually a Shu et al. paper from two weeks ago. Um, and yeah, the new tail. So uh, alligator, alligator loses its tail. And um, yeah, like it regrows. But where previously, obviously, being a vertebrate, they've got a spinal cord. Where the tail mm-hmm. regrows inside, it's not bone it's actually cartilage and it's not segmented it's just like one big long sausage of cartilage at the end and it's surrounded oh, by weird. just surrounded by like scar tissue instead of connected tissue so it's like a sort of mishmash basically it's going to do the job but it's not internally even similar to what the tail was before and the top of the tail you know the um really characteristic nice big scutes that you see on an alligator yeah 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 yeah, yeah. That classic image of like an alligator's tail flicking out of the water and you see those like big, nice, spiny looking scoots. Doesn't have those on yeah. the regrown tail. Instead, it's actually got like lots and lots and lots of tiny, tiny little scales. Um, huh. So it doesn't... So it, you could basically you still, can tell by looking whether or not it's been regrown. It still operates as in it, it, it still like can use it for swimming purposes? It said in the paper they flap them just as well as they flapped them before. Huh. That's I don't know, actually. I actually don't know. I actually don't know. Uh, but they can, they can move them. They are movable. Oh, yeah. It does It does all the bits and bobs that you want. Um, yeah, no skeletal muscle, but there's fibrous connective tissue instead. Yeah, I don't think they got into the uh, biomechanics of it. Okay. I was just more, more thinking, you know, just wild uh, implications of this, whether that just helps them live longer because they still have a functioning tail essentially well like you said earlier i think the tail for an alligator is pretty key so i'd imagine it has a beneficial effect otherwise why would they bother regrowing it uh because it could be some weird holdover ancestral state ancestral trait that just has never really gotten rid of because it doesn't happen very frequently or maybe the other sex like long tails maybe yeah i mean it could I don't know, crocodiles and alligators and stuff, they're so tough that it might be one of those things that it's almost accidental from being tough in other ways, if you see what I mean. Hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But yeah, that was published in Scientific Reports. Um, So yeah, the other thing I saw, um, alligators in the news, uh, this is from Fox News. 13-foot massive alligator snatches duck from hunters in central Florida. So I watched the video. It's a, it's a big <laughs> alligator. Yeah, it's a big alligator. And basically, these two old boys, they're shooting ducks in the Everglades, and the alligator's just cruising around, basically eating the ducks that they shoot out of the sky um, and making them look like silly billies. And it's a beast of an alligator as well. And it just, like, sidles on up and eats these ducks. Can't believe it's luck, really. 
Well, let's hope they weren't using lead pellets or anything nasty like that then. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that um, I reckon a gator could poop out some lead, but yeah, you're right. They probably shouldn't be eating it. Um, so yeah, there's a couple of things. Uh, alligators. The general tone of that article was quite sort of um, dumb, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> quite sort of... Um... <laughs> yeah. Um the, yeah, the opening paragraph is Living in Florida, we're used to seeing alligators But this one that was recently spotted in central Florida Looks like something straight out of Jurassic Park I don't remember seeing alligators in Jurassic Park I don't remember seeing so many exclamation marks in a news article <laughs> Wow, yeah uh... <laughs> Oh well, well... Uh, Yeah uh, Cool, have we got any other business? I've got a little frog call, actually, Ben, that I wanted to play to you and to the listeners because someone, um, a kind of a member of my extended family has sent me this from Australia. And uh, this was recorded in Sydney, a place called Dundas okay. Valley near okay. Parramatta. And uh, it's the call and you're going to make me guess the frog. Well, you can, guess, you can guess if you want. I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, but I, what I want is for one of our listeners to reliably inform us of what this frog is, because I'm curious and I think it'd be quite nice to find out. Okay, you ready? I'm going to play it to you. You ready? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's some sort of graboid, I believe. That's no frog. That's that's a graboid right there. Damn, look at me missing the reference. What's a graboid? Oh, it's Tremors. Tremors! Oh, man. Damn, that's a <laughs> good reference. I wish I'd got that. <laughs> it's a dirt dragon! <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, my okay. guess is it's going to be one of those weird crucifix frogs, because they're hilarious and they're the only frog I can think of at the top of my head from Australia right now. Okay, well, let us know if you think you Ben's wrong or right. Um, yeah, and one other mention, uh, we got a new Patreon, Typhlops. Big up. Thanks very much indeed. Oh, cheers. Excellent. Well, uh, yeah, I think that's just about it for that kind of discombobulated episode. I hope everyone yeah, has bit, enjoyed that. a bit of a mess, but, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's what we could manage. <laughs> um... Yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. We are on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and uh, you can email us at herphighlights at gmail.com. We have a Patreon um, website, so if you want to donate to the podcast, very much gratefully appreciated. And we also sell clothes. We got some wicked t-shirts, particularly a King Cobra one, or, or Redbubble. So if you just search Herpetological Highlights Redbubble, you'll be able to find that. If you want to get some merch... Um, yeah, I was thinking about buying all my relatives Herp Highlights clothes for Christmas, just to like get some free advertising out there. I feel like they'd be obligated to wear them. I mean, that that's that's a pretty strong move, man. I just want my granddad to be having conversations about my podcast in the supermarket. <laughs> podcast goals, <laughs> right there. Yeah, um, but yeah. So that's all that remains. Um, but yeah, Christmas is just around the corner. If you've got any herpetological minded friends. Um, I think all that remains to be said. I should put those you got new any designs other... up at some point, shouldn't I? Yeah, we've got sweet new designs coming. We're probably going to host a wicked new competition. Lots happening keep on the podcast. Say, keep saying this, but 
I keep not doing it because I keep not having time. Man's got a busy life. Apparently, yeah. Let's call it there. Um, thank you for listening, and yeah, catch you next time. Awesome. Thanks for listening. <laughs>